Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Darwin. The Nerds is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Breber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be talking some football, bringing back NFL content at Nerd Sesh because this is the time of year when things are very exciting and we want to talk about the championship game. So that'll be the focus for today. And Logan, I think we have to start with the much more intense, competitive, and controversial game. And that was the AFC Championship game, which, of course, the Chiefs ended up winning by a field goal. Like it or not, I think the place that we have to start with this game is probably officiating, given how much that has dominated the discourse. What's your take on that? Do you think that there was something untoward about how this game was officiated do you think it significantly affected the outcome where do you come in on that entire discourse uh yeah i mean if you want me to be fully transparent i 100 percent think so and i've had this working theory for a while throughout this entire season i think in close games again i don't have any evidence concretely to back this up my theory uh working throughout this season has been in close games and tied football games I think the refs are going to call it towards what is going to lead to overtime or lead to a dramatic finish. And it leads to more money for the NFL. It leads to more eyes on your product if you're in a tight game, if you go into that overtime. Like, I think that we've seen that a few times. But this game, I mean, dude, like, there are just so many prime examples that are poor. I think the worst one was the third down where the Chiefs get – I mean, what is it, two or three times at it? The clock doesn't run. Uh, they get a sack on the next play. Eli Apple gets called for the holding one. That one made me scratch my head the most because there was no signal on the field immediately that mm-hmm. um, that the play needed to be stopped. And I, I don't like that on the official's end. You're putting players at risk if you're running a play with no result. They played that like it was regular. And then, again, to just call it back. I've seen that happen before. I don't want to act like that's never happened before. I've vividly seen that in a Pittsburgh Steelers game where – that exact scenario played out. I'm not saying that it's 
that it's never happened, right? I've seen them run a play and then say, oh, the clock wasn't running. We have to replay this down. It happens. But that's a one-off, right? The next one that I didn't agree with was the... I didn't like the Joe Burrow intentional grounding call. And I get it, and it was very close, and I think that one could have gone either way. But I thought Piran, I don't know if he got the ball to the line of scrimmage, but, you know, I mean, Piran's like four or five yards away. I thought that wasn't a great call. Um, the other two big ones were the Skymore punt, which I thought was an egregious, like, block in the back. They were holding that dude, um, allowing Pacheco to get all the way back down for that big, or, yeah, it was, was it, it was Skymore. Sky Moore gets all the way down there, gets them close. Uh, looks like Mahomes is going to have an easy opportunity to get down the field. I thought that should have been flagged. Um, as for the last play, uh, I understand what uh, what uh, the defensive end is doing in that play, dude. It's been a long game, Carson. You want that lick. I understand the mentality completely on that play. You've been playing a long game. You're playing against the best quarterback in football. You've wanted to lay the pine all game long. You've wanted that one good lick all game, and finally, as you're closing in on the sideline, uh, you think that this is it. This is where I'm going to be able to lay Mahomes out. You've just got to have the awareness that Mahomes is already out of bounds. That's just a brain fart. Um, I think that was the right call um, on the last play. You hate to see a game end that way to give them what is going to be the difference between a 50-plus yard field goal and a sub-50-yard field goal. That really matters. That was the right call, but the things leading up to it, I didn't like the intentional grounding. I didn't like the missed, I, I think a couple holds on those last plays. I, I especially did not like the way the refs handled that third down too. And look, I don't know if they were trying to force overtime because they thought that would be a good narrative. Um, I, bottom line is no, I did not like the officiating in this game. And I do think for the majority of it, uh, they leaned Kansas City. Uh, what do you think, Carson? Well, let me just ask you this. When does the scheme to prompt overtime start in your eyes? Because at the end, like if anybody takes issue with the non-holding calls or with what I think was clearly unnecessary roughness with Osai pushing Patrick Mahomes when he was pretty obviously out of bounds, that's not going towards overtime. That's going towards a regulation finish. And I know you can say, well, they want the most dramatic finish too, but that all seems very arbitrary to me. Like, they're going to have an exciting finish. It's a tie ball game with Patrick Mahomes against Joe Burrow, and frankly, I don't think that's the more exciting finish, right? Like, maybe you just view that as making an obvious call, but I just have a great skepticism of sort of the pervasive paranoia that people have about officials interfering with outcomes, and I think that clearly we are a very paranoid society today, looking very frequently for sinister intentions and conspiracies wherever we can find them. And I think that especially now that sports gambling is legal and is so deeply intertwined with so much of sports culture, people, A, have more money on the line, more reason to be upset, and B, are more eager to look for reasons to say this is obviously rigged, this ref has money in this, the NFL is invested in this outcome because it's going to generate more revenue. That dynamic has always been there, but I do feel like the sports betting angle has ramped this up another level. So I guess I'm just wondering why you think that. Like, you said that you don't have concrete evidence. I wouldn't expect you to. I wouldn't expect you to go collecting it. But, like, do you think that's confirmation bias where you're looking for that? No. Okay. No. All right. Can you cite me some examples then? My thing would be the bottom line for the NFL. What I'm getting at, Carson, is the NFL wants bang-bang action. They want games that are going to come down to the wire. And that's why I thought it was foolish uh, 
to have the refs play into this outcome as, as much as they did. What I'm getting at is the I think the refs and the NFL want competitive games. I think they want overtime. They're going to lean towards the team that is struggling more. I think the Chiefs were unequivocally struggling more in this ball what? game towards the end to manufacture yeah to manufacture offense bro like okay can i just say something here what all i'm getting at is i think that the nfl knows that more eyes are going to be on the product if it is a very tight game that comes down to the last play which we got or to an overtime period and i think throughout the season we've seen them favor the team that needs that little more help um in this instance i think the biggest the most egregious play was the uh, consecutive third downs when Cincinnati seems like they're going to get the ball back and have shut this thing down for good. Um, you don't, so you don't think there's, you don't think there's any foul play. You don't think there's any leaning towards. You think this was officiated properly, or I'm, I'm just trying to get your your gauge here. I think it was a poorly officiated game in some points, no doubt. I think that the whistle also favored the Chiefs. I mean, we can go play by play. I don't disagree with you across the board. I think. The redoing third down was very poorly handled. Like, I think at some point you blow that play dead, or it took them so long to Mm -hmm. seemingly figure out what had even gone wrong, right? Like, the broadcasters were still saying that they thought maybe there was an inadvertent whistle or that was the reason that things needed to be replayed. You certainly saw no frustration for any players on the Chiefs' side. Like, hey, what was going on there? I guess because they didn't notice that the clock wasn't running. But... Very, very strange. Incredibly fortuitous for the Chiefs, certainly, that on the next play then they get a hold, which was a clear holding call, but obviously they benefit from that. But to me, it's like, does that lead me to believe that with 10 and a half minutes in a tie game, the refs are looking at this and saying, okay, we're somehow going to manipulate the clock. Like, that's what you do, right? If the clock isn't running, you replay the down. That's the rule. They're operating by the book. They handled it poorly, but that would just require such an absurd level of manipulation when I really think that the much clearer answer is just a little bit of incompetence, right? Just a poorly handled situation. And by the way, that led to a punt. So, yes, I agree. That was certainly the strangest, the most poorly handled play of the game. And it's a really weird situation, and it's not one that you see often. But outside of that, I don't think that the Burrow intentional grounding was a bad call. I think it is an inconsistently officiated one, and I think a lot of the time we do not see intentional groundings called. However, that ball was five yards short of the line of scrimmage. It wasn't close. He's clearly in the pocket, and the nearest receiver is probably seven yards beyond the line of scrimmage. So that is an exceptionally clear grounding, I think, in they still wouldn't call it sometimes, but I can't be like, oh man, they officiated the rule properly. Well, and that's my thing is, is you were talking about it being inconsistently judged and I'll always go back to, I don't know, man. Some people like the human error element of referees. I have always been of the ballpark of if we can have Gene Steratore up there with the guys in the booth, if we can have these NFL officiating experts in the booth, why don't we have one to three guys up in a sky booth who are looking at every angle of every play and going, this needed to be called, this needed to be called, you guys got this wrong, and we can do that in a heartbeat. And I thought, um, and we've seen playoff games that have been excellently officiated um, in the playoffs thus far, and that's what's so frustrating is uh, who the Niners play uh, in the in the divisional round or in the wild card? Cowboys. One of the, yeah, I mean, I thought that game was quick. 
It was fast. The refs were on their shit in that game. They were just, every call was, it felt like it was right. It was down the line and they did it quick. And I just don't understand why, I don't know. At this point in football games and basketball games, I am of the, uh, I'm of the party that would like a uniform committee, a judge that is just looking at all these angles and not making sure that we don't get any calls wrong. Um, because it's always going to be the point. I, I, it, and here, my, my final thing on refs, Carson. I just want to get this out of the way, too. And the reason that people will always have the conspiracy theories about refs and money is because the refs are not paid enough by the league to be objective. And that is going to be my final point on this, is until the refs are paid adequately for every game and we can have a full staff year-round that is compensated adequately to make sure these games are officiated properly, that's the... that's. That's why everyone who is gambling on these games and everyone who likes to point the finger at refs and uh, collusion and fucking, you know, evil doing in these games is because the refs are not financially compensated enough to call these games down the line. And until that happens, I think we're always going to be pointing that finger of, oh, is so-and-so betting on this game or are they leaning towards this outcome? That's just my thing because I still don't think officials are paid properly enough to not play on these games. I just don't want to have 10, 20 years from now, Carson, oh, you know, we get the Tim Donaghy scandal. We mm-hmm. get this scandal. I don't want to hear that because that will ruin years and years of football, and we will point a lot of fingers at a lot of different games, and this result should have happened. Uh, my final take, I think the rest played a minute hand in this. 99% of games and in this game, I think the better team won. Mm-hmm. I think the Cincinnati Bengals had opportunities to get this shit done, to win this game. And, and like, yes, I think the rest played a bit in this outcome, but I think the better team won, and the Bengals had opportunities to win this game. And that's the bottom line, that the refs, at the end of the day, have a very marginal effect on the outcomes of these games. This is a very shady fourth quarter. At the end of the day, refs, no matter what call they make, have a very marginal effect on the outcome of football games. I think that's the key point, and that's just what I want to hone in on. I don't agree that it was very shady. Again, I think that it was poorly officiated in some spots. But ultimately, the Chiefs in this game had more yards, had more first downs, had more yards per play, had fewer turnovers, and had a grand total of 16 more penalty yards go in their favor. And a couple of crucial, memorable ones, maybe, but like, I don't know how you dispute that that was unnecessary roughness, dude, on that last play. Like, I get that it sucks. Nobody wants to see a game ended effectively because a defensive player was overly emotional and pushed a star quarterback after the play was over. That sucks for everybody unless you're a Chiefs fan. It doesn't mean that you can ignore an obvious penalty. Like, I just think that sets a precedent that is much too complicated. It would be nice if these things didn't affect the game, but maybe just don't break the rules. Don't be stupid. That's what it comes down to to me. So I think that's ridiculous, and that's one of the key points to me is that people are not rational about this stuff because people talk about that as if it's a robbery. My boy Mikey Goody comes into the chat screaming about how he hates refs, about how that's a horrible way to end a game. It is an unfortunate way to end a game. It's the right right call. It's their job to call that. So – That is the bottom line to me, man. I don't know how you could watch this game in its totality and think, oh, yeah, the Bengals played better. Like, the Chiefs won this game despite the fact that Patrick Mahomes had a ball just fly out of his hands, right? And 
they had a touchdown taken back early on what seemed to be a pretty questionable holding call, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. just, I think people key in on the result, and they key in on very specific moments, and then they confirm whatever suspicion or conclusion they want to have in their head. Because to me, it's just like, why would the NFL be incentivized to call an intentional grounding on Joe Burrow when he is leading a potentially game-winning drive? That's every bit as remarkable a story a narrative, I'm sure a revenue driver, as Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes may be a bigger star, but it's not by much, man. People love Joe Burrow. Bengals mm-hmm. are a small market. So is Kansas City. They both have devoted fan bases and massive league-wide love and attention. So it's just like, I need more evidence, man. There's just this irrational suspicion. Like, look at what happened in the NBA with Jaron Jackson Jr. Literally this same past weekend, right? Some dude goes and checks Triple J's home versus away splits and says, hold on. He's averaging nearly twice as many combined blocks and steals at home as he is away. That's insane. This is clearly being rigged by the Grizzlies stat keeper. Then the next step in the narrative is, oh my God, the Grizzlies stat keeper obviously took Jaron Jackson Jr. to win Defensive Player of the Year at plus 10,000 before the year started. This is a travesty. This is a scandal. Watch a game. That's what I'm saying, dude. And then you have actual reputable people go through and review the film and say, yeah, maybe there's three blocks out of 66 that are questionable here. But this is clearly a negligible mistake. And there is no widespread fraud, malice here. But that's where people's minds are, dude. Like, that is society and that is sports fandom right now. And I just think overwhelmingly it is not true. Yes, we had Tim Donaghy and... That obviously sucked. And you know what? Scott Foster probably should have gone down with him because they sure made a lot of phone calls to each other, and Scott Foster had a lot of bad moments as a ref. But I think overwhelmingly, people overstate the impact that officials have on the game. Again, more yards, more first downs, 16 more yards from penalties, more yards per play, fewer, fewer turnovers, and all those things were true before the final drive, before the penalty that sealed the game. So refs are humans. They make mistakes. And... To your point about the robot officials, I have always been a supporter of that. I don't like human error. What I will say is for football, where there are 22 players on the field at all times, where there are so many moving components, I think it should be used to accelerate reviews. I don't think we should have a robot ref calling every argument. Well, not a robot, sorry, but you know what I mean, like a a person in the sky. Because football is too arbitrary. I don't think that you can have a robot officiate that yet. That would be pretty insane. Of course, the old cliche goes, you can call holding on every play. That's true, right? Like, there is so much contact that walks the line and maybe crosses a bit over it, and refs do have to make judgment calls, and sometimes they miss little things, and that's okay because we need games to move at a reasonable speed. Because at the very least, even if you have corrections coming instantly from some ref up in a booth with, you know, the best view possible— then the official still has to come out and state what happened to the fans who are there in the stadium, and then you're adding 45 seconds a minute on, and that could happen for such a significant percentage of plays. So I just think refs are imperfect. It sucks. I don't like it. I wish that there were a perfect refereeing system. I don't think that there is. I think we have to live with this, and I don't think that we are witnessing scandals before our very eyes. Something else I've thought of, I, I, I probably have mentioned on this podcast at some point that we can minimize human error in these football games, too, is by GPS chipping the football and every NFL yeah. player that is on the field, too. 
you could chip every single five-yard line or every single one-yard hash mark, and we wouldn't have any issue of determining the spot of the ball or this and that. And my final point on the penalties things about the referee, Carson, I wholeheartedly agreed about the uh, Asai penalty at the end of the game. And this isn't to say that the refs have never impacted a game off of one call because you can look back at NFL history, and I think that also plays a component into this, Carson, the history of the NFL. There are games in which you can point to one game, one penalty it came down to. Uh, probably the most infamous play of all time, the tuck rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people are going to point to that. We had a different set of rules back yeah. then. And you can't tell me that the NFL wanted the Raiders in the Super Bowl and they didn't want Brady in there. I don't think they wanted the Raiders in the Super wait, wait, Bowl. Wait. And Why would they want Brady in there? That was his first year as a I'm starter. Not- no, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Is I'm not saying that they didn't want that they wanted to push Brady. I'm saying that they didn't want the Raiders in the Super Bowl, and that was a bad call. I think it wasn't uh, a bad call though. It was a bad rule. It was a horrible. It was a bad. Rule. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, at the time with the rule changes, that was the correct call. It was a horrible rule. Yeah. The thing is, is because Brady brings that. You can look back at it. Brady does bring that ball back, right? He pumped. Yeah. That ball was coming back into his chest. Um, another great example, and I'm not going to go down the laundry list because I'm sure there's a million examples that you can point to of games being decided on one call. The most prominent one to me is the Jesse James play where, uh, Jesse James makes a catch. We still don't have any idea what a catch is in the modern NFL. We still Mm. struggle with it game to game stemming from the Des Bryant ruling, but that's another prominent one in my opinion, where Jesse James is making a football move which in the NFL rulebook, that is a football move going towards the goal line and where he marginally makes contact with the ground and the ball moves, and they call that a TD. And you know what? I don't know if people still remember because Steelers fans still get mad about that football game and how that game ended. It was a touchdown. We should have taken the lead. Tom Brady should have gotten the ball back with 40 seconds and had an opportunity to march down the field. Do any of you remember what happened on the next play? Ben threw a fucking soul-crushing interception like he always did. We had a chance to win that game even after the Jesse James play, and that's, again, kind of the point that I'm getting at. Even after all that fuckery, all that little, you know, maybe you point at shenanigans, the third down, the holding, whatever calls you disagree with, the Chiefs would have had to kick about a 58-yard field goal if Asai doesn't push Mahomes out of bounds, or Mahomes would have tried to push the ball up the field a little more to make that field goal earlier. Even in these instances where it comes down to one play, the Jesse James play, the Osai penalty, um, you still have an opportunity. The aside one fucked you guys, just like Big Ben throwing mm-hmm. interception fucked us in that game, right? It's the, my point here fundamentally too is again at the end of the day, the refs have a very marginal outcome on yeah. on these games, and it's up to the teams and the players to get it done. And I'm sorry, Cincinnati, you guys talked a lot of shit there before the game, and this is what happens, bro. You you lost, and yeah. I think they should hold their heads high, Carson. You In the first quarter, you hold them to six points after they march all the way down the field and could have had two easy TDs and put you out of that game. Mm-hmm. They had 110 yards of offense to your zero after the first quarter. And you lost because a guy made a boneheaded fucking play at the end of the game. I think the Bengals should hold their heads high after this game, man. I, I think the Chiefs are the second-best team in football behind Philadelphia, and since he played them tight, um, I don't think they should be mad. I do want to ask you two uh, follow-ups yeah. briefly here, Carson. One, who would you rather... At this point, I think it's a very valid question to ask. I know where I stand on it. Would you rather have Joe Burrow or Josh Allen? Mm. Let me first say this. One last point just on the officiating. 
it'll be very quick. But I know that you've been talking about the chips forever, and this was actually a storyline a couple weeks ago. There is a chip in the ball now, but it's only accurate to like six inches. So ultimately, <laughs> it's still the chain gang's decision to make. So I don't know. I can't pretend that I'm a master of technology and that I should know exactly how accurate chips can be, but it is kind of funny that like, yeah, that helps, but how often is the ref more than six inches off with their eye? I mean, it is obviously kind of a ridiculous system, right, that a guy is spotting from the sideline and is supposed to know exactly where the ball is. So it's better than nothing, but unfortunately still not a perfect solution yet. Maybe someday we can reach the Logan Cannon utopia. Okay, now to address the Burrow versus Josh question. I think it is a very tough one. I think that Joe Burrow has clearly improved this year. I mean, at this time last season, I wouldn't have considered it a legitimate question, Super Bowl appearance and all for Burrow. I think we all remember, at least if we don't have rosy colored glasses on, that that was a pretty ugly and at times lucky playoff run for the Bengals up to the Super Bowl. But I think that Burrow has gotten better. I think he is an incredibly quick and intelligent processor of the game. I think he is unbelievably accurate, has excellent touch on his balls, sus, very good composure, obviously good movement, right? The ability to extend plays, to make things happen with his feet. He's an incredibly complete quarterback, more in the traditional mold of your greats, right? Like he's a great mind a great pocket passer very accurate he's sort of like a modern day breeze in a lot of ways i think they have a lot of similar traits josh though is an entirely different beast like he is the most capable player in football history to me of being an elite one-man offense and people have now gone and said oh man pete cam was so much better than pete josh i just do not think that they compare as actual throwers of the football. I think that Josh, for the most part over these last three years, has been pretty smart. I understand that that is always what people will bring back against him, the questionable decision-making in spots, and I think this year he regressed a bit there. I think that there were more what-the-hell-are-you-doing moments than there were last year or two years ago when he only threw 10 picks. And obviously we've seen some exceptional playoff moments from him before this year when he didn't have his best. It's a really tough question, man, but my honest answer is that I would still take Josh because Josh has the ability to be a great pocket passer. Probably not as good of a pure pocket passer as Burrow, but he can destroy at this point any coverage, right? Like he struggled with zone for a time. Now I think he has the ability to pick apart zone. And we know what he's capable of doing in terms of pure arm talent. His deep ball is phenomenal like just insane ability there. And obviously he can be your leading rusher and one of the most dynamic short down threats in the league with his legs. So it's close. I just think there's a higher ceiling with Josh. I think that when Josh is dialed in as a thrower, when he's making good decisions, it's it's just a different level of football, dude. It's like he's the closest to Patrick Mahomes that we'll ever see because of the sheer arm talent, the athleticism, the threat as a runner, the ability to extend plays, and the fact that he can be a really, really smart quarterback and can process the game very effectively. And this year, just unfortunately, there were too many moments where he fell a bit short in that regard, but it's not enough for me to change my opinion, even with the improvement of Burrow. But I will say, 
it is very clearly to me Mahomes in a different tier and then Josh and Joe fighting for that QB2 spot. And I think the consistency for Mahomes is part of what's really just continued to create that gap between him and Josh because I was always a Mahomes is better guy, but it's just so consistent. And Josh just has more days where you're like, man, you can't do that. You're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And, uh, you know, I've seen, I've had this conversation with a few people uh, where I work too. Everybody's talking about how we crowned Allen, how we've already crowned Josh Allen, this and that. And I don't think, I don't know why people let one playoff game yeah. in recent memory, you know, determine how they think about these players. I don't really dramatically think any different about Josh Allen because he lost the game against Burrow. I still think Josh Allen is number two, and I would still take him over Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow does one thing better than Josh, and that's that I think Joe just understands the timing of routes mm -hmm. and just where balls need to be played. I think the breeze comp is honestly really good, Carson. The Mentally, Joe is fucking superior, dude. Just And I don't think you can yeah. rattle him in the same way that maybe you can rattle Josh. I think he's yeah. a gamer. You hear the Montana comps, the the Joe Cool, Joe Namath, you know, whatever you want to point. In clutch time, I think Joe's a great. And I just, again, knowing where the ball needs to be to split defenders, where I need to throw it, what time the ball needs to be there, it, it's insane. But I just think Josh does more things. I think he's more versatile. And yeah. I would much rather take the one-man guy who can also get it done with his feet, too. It's very close, and I want to make it, I want to make it clear. It is a very close race. Um, right now, I'm still taking Josh as my number two as well, and Joe's three. Yeah, and I mean, just more points in Josh's favor. Like you have to consider what they're working with offensively, and Josh for the second consecutive year, actually the third consecutive year, has piloted a top three scoring offense. We have not seen Joe Burrow do that, and that is while Burrow has significantly better receiving weapons. Mm -hmm. I mean probably the best receiving trio in football like just i'd say just i'd say group <laughs> yeah and a run game that can be pretty darn dynamic like yeah i mean mixon had his up and downs but i mean you even see them such in they, they sub in p Ryan and p Ryan's getting it done yeah and it's not to say that they have a great run game right and obviously their line has had plenty of issues this year but the bills Bottom line, rushing numbers will look good. Their efficiency will look good. Uh, their total output will look good. But it's because of Josh Allen. I mean, it's overwhelmingly because of Josh. They still don't really have a good running back. Like, James Cook is solid. We'll see what he does with more touches next year. Singletary is thoroughly mediocre. And their line isn't that good. I just think Josh can cover up so many holes and still make you great. Whereas Burrow... If he's in a generally good situation, not to say that he's in football heaven, because not like they have a <laughs> dominant run game and a dominant line or anything like that, but he is generally allowed to play a specific style, and it's a style that translates in a lot of places, right? Like, if you can get the ball out quickly, if you're accurate, if you make good decisions, if you have really good timing, you're going to be a really good quarterback. But it helps when you have really good receivers, and Josh, this year, has just had to try to do everything. And... Uh, he still led a more dynamic offense than Burrow. I understand that, that wasn't the case when they met head-to-head -head in the biggest game of the year for both of them, but things aren't determined on one-game sample sizes. Like, that's an absurd way 
to make your assessments about people. And it's kind of a credibility killer if you look and say, oh, yeah, this head-to-head matchup is what changed my opinion. And listen, the margin is slim enough to where if you just say, I like Burrow more, that's fine by me. But it it can't be because he beat Josh Allen head-to-head and outplayed him in that one game. Yeah, against the Bills defense that, that frankly, is not as good as Cincinnati's. Certainly not, and certainly not as well-schemed. And the Bills were thoroughly out physicaled at the line of scrimmage they were thoroughly out coached they were less talented across the board on skill positions they were worse on both lines like yeah there's a lot of things that determine a football game did you have another question i thought you said you had yeah, two. i'm trying to remember i did have two questions i don't remember the other one right now maybe it'll come to me all right well let's get back to the game at hand because there was more than just officiating What do you think about this Chiefs team? We'll do a full Super Bowl preview as we get closer, but what are your takeaways for them from this win? I mean, uh, to quote uh, the late, great uh, Dennis Green, uh, they are who we thought they were. Uh, My opinion of the Chiefs really has not changed all that dramatically. Um, They have Mahomes. They have the best quarterback in football, and I still think this defense is very fraudulent. I don't know if it's because of Spagnuolo, as much as we see the, the Chiefs come out in in quarters with their secondary, it really scares me how lost and how on an island these guys look consistently. And it's it's the depth guys, right? It's the fourth and fifth and sixth guys. It's the real depth DBs that are out there on the field. Um, and I don't know if it's just because Cincinnati's that talented skill-wise, because it's hard, man. These guys run crisp fucking routes. They're great receivers. Even if you're matched up against their number three or number two in T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd or Hayden Hurst or even down to, like, shout out Trent Nerwin, man. Like, whoever you're matched up against out there, man, it's tough because these guys are picking apart your defense. The Chiefs secondary scares me for this Super Bowl, Carson, and they've scared me all season long. It's the Achilles heel of this team. Every time they're in the playoffs, it's – are the DBs going to get burnt in a big scenario? And again, I'm not as nuanced as a Chiefs fan to know if it's Spag's defensive system, what it is. Uh, I, I still don't love their secondary, and I still think it could come back to bite them in a really big spot. I like their front four. I think Chris Jones is, for my money, maybe the best interior guy in football next to like Aaron Donald. Chris is disgusting. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a fucking beast, man. And I think that I like Kansas City's front seven. I like the guys that they put in the box. I still do not like their secondary. And offensively, I don't think I need to get into it. They have Patrick Mahomes. And I think, Carson, I think we are on – I think Philadelphia, if you asked me to pick the more talented team, I would probably take Philadelphia. Um, Well-rounded just, you know, throughout the board, who I think is more talented – I think we are heading for an absolute clash of the Titans in the Super Bowl, Carson. I think this is going to be a great fucking game, and I think it's going to be really balanced. But Patrick Mahomes is going to have to play like the superstar that we know he is. He cannot put up 20 points. Yeah, You've got to finish fucking drives, and I know that that penalty killed him um, on that second drive when they were marching down in the first quarter. Uh, that's where I think the Super Bowl is going to come down to, is I think that Mahomes and this offense need to finish drives and their secondary can't get burnt like this, man. If they look anything like they did in this game against Cincinnati, I think I'm going to take Philadelphia to win, dude. I don't trust this secondary at all, and that may be 
that may be what swings uh, my Super Bowl decision for them. I think unequivocally, though, I think these are the two best teams in football. And a lot of years we don't get them. I don't think that the Bengals were the second best team in football last year. I'm glad mm-hmm. that we got these two. And uh, I think this is going to be an absolute war. It's hard for me to say how much I feel like these are the two best teams in football. Like, I don't even know what to make of Eagles Niners, which obviously we'll get to. But I really thought the Niners at full strength, even with their third string quarterback. I mean, I picked the Eagles to win that game because I did get to a point where I was like such dominance in the trenches, in trenches, such an insane pass rush that it's like, is Brock pretty really going to be schemed out of that? Like, isn't there going to be a few moments where he's just overwhelmed? He makes a bad decision. He takes too many sacks. We ended up not even really getting to see that. The Eagles are incredibly talented. Chiefs Bengals, though, I feel like the Bengals are more talented, too. I think the Bengals are a better defense with significantly more talented skill position players overall, especially given the Chiefs injuries right now. But yeah, I think I would still take the Chiefs because of Patrick Mahomes and because of Andy Reid, honestly, like and their interior line is really, really good and has been all year on the offensive end. And then you you would take Kansas City right now. Oh, well, I'm just talking through the two best teams. Like, do I think they were better than the mm-hmm. Bengals? I picked them to beat the Bengals, even with an injured Patrick Mahomes, uh, because I believe that much in Patrick Mahomes. But that's kind of what it comes down to, and just their offense overall. But I am concerned about them now because it was ugly down the stretch in that game, moving the ball, right? Like, it's just, I don't know what the updates are on Juju and Hardman. And it's certainly a good time for them to have two weeks, especially for Pat to try to get 100% healthy too. But that is scary, man, when you're not really stronger at any position group other than, I mean, obviously, like, they have an unbelievable force on the D-line with Chris Jones, but there's no argument overall that the Chiefs' D-line is better than the Eagles. And they have a pretty darn good O-line, but I think the Eagles' O-line is better. I think the Eagles clearly have the better receivers. I think the Eagles have the better secondary. So it's like, yeah, it's pretty much Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey in this offensive system that I'm putting my faith in. And I do think the Chiefs probably need to be a little bit healthier at receiver. But, yeah, I I feel similarly about them. Like, if they are mostly healthy, it's still an unbelievable offense. And we saw that early. I mean, they were moving the ball pretty darn easily and yeah they didn't finish those couple of drives but we know that this is one of the best situational teams in football number two and third down conversion rate number two and fourth down conversion rate number two in red zone touchdown percentage and they have Patrick Mahomes and ultimately I just think that faith in the quarterback position is so important and it is what has carried the Chiefs to this point year after year after year skill position talent really good play calling of course those things are really important but we haven't seen them have a a legitimately great defense. They've had a couple good defenses, and here they are in their third Super Bowl in five years, having just played in their fifth championship game. It's because of Patrick Mahomes, man. And mm-hmm. it's just crazy, dude. Like, again, just the highest scoring offense in football. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pick against him. It might come down to what the reports on health are, but there's just a gut instinct where. Hertz did not play a very good game against the Niners, and I still think he's liable to make some bad decisions and some errant throws, and the Eagles have been so dominant this year. They showed a stat during the Niners game that they have had the highest percentage of time leading overall this season, almost two-thirds of the time they've been up, and they've only lost one time when Hertz plays, and they have such a dominance in the trenches. 
the ability to make other quarterbacks uncomfortable and the ability to establish their own offensive identity. But I do still worry what happens if you get down significantly early, right? Like it can happen quick with Patrick Mahomes. Touchdown opening drive. You guys go three and out touchdown. You're down quickly. And I'm not saying that you change from your identity at that point, but you got to make big throws to win big time football games, man. I still believe that. And that's not to say that hurts. He's a solid thrower of the football. He's accurate and he's composed for the most part, but he doesn't make the the elite throwing quarterback throws still. And I don't know that I trust him in that drive. And he hasn't even been tested in that respect this year because the Eagles have been so good overall. So I don't know, man. We'll talk about this more in another episode. But yeah, the the, the Chiefs to me are almost impossible to pick against. I would almost always rather be wrong picking the Chiefs, even if they're a, a less complete team because of how dynamic this offense is with Patrick Mahomes. That was the exact thing I was going to say about Hurts, though, is he hasn't been tested in that respect. And that is what scares me about this game, is if they do get down, do you have that mental fortitude? Do you have that... Do you have that mentally to stay in the game and stay engaged and not get down on yourself? Because it can happen in the blink of an eye against the Chiefs. Uh, The thing that scares me, I think I would take Philadelphia right now. Uh, It takes a team to win a Super Bowl, and I don't like picking against Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think they are the more complete team. It takes, again, teams to win the Super Bowl, so I think I'd take them. The thing that scares me is the Landon Dickerson injury, though. His second season um, gets named to the Pro Bowl this year. I don't. He looked like he was writhing in pain, walking off the field, grabbing his right arm. Um, that scares mm-hmm. me. If Dickerson's out, that means that you're matching a backup guard up against Chris Jones, and I know they're great. Uh, Philly has again been one of the best trench teams in football all season long, especially on the offensive end. With Landon Dickerson out, I think that is an absolute game-changing injury. Uh, again, we've got a little bit of time before the Super Bowl. We got about two weeks. If he's not healthy, that might change the scope of this game enough for me to take the Chiefs. And again, it's a, it's one offensive lineman, but he's a damn good one, dude. Mm-hmm. And I wish the Pittsburgh Steelers had taken him instead of Najee Harris. That guy's a beast. Uh, that could change the complexity of the game for me. That being said, again, I think the Eagles are the better football team. And I think, too, Hurts may not be able to make those big-time throws, man. The Mahomes, you know, even Burrow throws, you know, where he's picking defenses apart. Sirianni has been great at scheming guys open, and Hurts is smart enough to where he's been able to pick up, you know, I I think Sirianni is a genius. I think this offensive system is tailored perfectly to Hurts. I think it's it's not overly complicated. Um, I think they're smart enough offensively to where they can... It's tough, man. If the Chiefs get out to an early lead, I think it could be a route, but if the Eagles can keep this thing close and make sure that they... Because I agree, man. I don't think there is dynamic. That's what scares me is if the Eagles get down early, I don't know if they're going to be able to fight and claw back. Mm-hmm. But if they can keep it competitive, keep it close, and if they can play ball control, because you have to against Mahomes. You can't do. You can't have these long, sustained drives that end in TDs that will kill your team because they have the ball for long and they score. Tentatively right now, I'm favoring the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to need to get an update on the land and Dickerson injury, but I think it's it's really close. And no, I don't like picking against Patrick Mahomes, man. That's like picking against Brady at this point. It's like picking, you don't do it. You're an idiot if you do. <laughs> um, right now, even you know, saying that tongue-in-cheek, I, I'm favoring Philly. I think it's harder than picking against Brady. Like, if you're talking about individuals, because uh, Patrick Mahomes is just better than Brady has ever been. I think that's, to me, pretty clear. 
So let me ask you this, Carson. Do you even put any merit up to playoff postseason stuff, all the big moments that, that Brady's had? Would you have Mahomes number one? Like, I think – because I think it's two different questions, right? I think if you asked me to take any QB all time, I wouldn't in a heartbeat take Patrick Mahomes, and I wouldn't think mm-hmm. about it. Um, so does that factor in at all for you? Is Brady still number one in your eyes? Like, I'm not even asking, like, because resume, I think he obviously has yeah. to be still. Uh, is Mahomes your first guy, and then is Brady your second, or is there somebody else? Because I think Peyton still does have a, a fucking argument for two or something like yeah, that, man. Yeah, well— let me be clear that best and greatest are different questions, but we're at a point where I, I kind of find best more interesting because it's like, how can you possibly yeah. compete with the just overall resume in terms of accomplishments that Tom Brady has, but has Patrick Mahomes not been an essentially perfect playoff performer? Like we can run down his numbers, 10 and three record in the playoffs with none of those losses being his fault, you think about a D Ford's offsides, you think about an absolute obliteration of their offensive line in the Super Bowl, where Mahomes is still making some of the most unbelievable throws that I've ever seen. And I saw a compilation of them all together, and I really didn't remember how many there were from just unbelievable angles and situations under insane duress that are on target, like really catchable balls. And... What was the last one? Another? Oh, the Bengals game last year, of course. Which, yeah, I mean, they did kind of fall apart in that one. But I just think overall, man, 10-3 and record, 300 yards per game, 32 touchdowns to seven picks. He has been every bit as brilliant as in the regular season and has carried each one of his teams in a way that we didn't see from Brady. You know, the first team he took to the championship was the number 23 scoring defense. The best defense he's ever had was the number seven scoring defense, and he won the Super Bowl. If Brady had the number seven scoring defense, he'd be crying to Belichick saying that they need to upgrade. Like, <laughs> we've also we've also seen Mahomes play with significant playoff deficits yeah. and win too. I mean, down twenty in, down two scores, down three scores, in how many games where it's looked hopeless? And it's like, I, I love I love a friend of the show Gabe Swartz, one of my favorite uh, just just uh, acronyms. Uh, WHPM, mm-hmm. we have Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Why would I stress? Why would I worry? I think about that in every Chiefs game I watch. I know that they're not stressing. They've got the GOAT yeah. on their sideline. All right. I think it may be irrational. <laughs> I might be leaning Chiefs right now, but give me some more time to really ponder this and see how things shake out in terms of health. Let's talk about the Eagles and the Niners because it was uh, unfortunately a pretty disappointing game due to health. Honestly, maybe we look at the Niners first. Like, what are your takeaways for this team from this season? And what do you think things look like next year? Everybody's been talking about the quarterback conversation. What are your thoughts? I mean, I still think they're a QB short. Um, That's why I picked against them in this game. I don't care what. Let me. uh, I don't want to bash Brock Purdy. I think it's like giving all that attribution for the. Uh, Big Ben, right, going yeah. on that on that sick run to the AFC title game where they lose to the New England Patriots. Big Ben got so much love from that, man. He threw 17 TDs to nine picks. I can tell you off the top of my head what he did that year. It was very mm-hmm. similar to what Brock Purdy did. It was very similar to what Dak Prescott did on those runs. The formula doesn't change for rookie QBs and how they win. The formula is very simple. You need one of the best defenses in the league, which the Niners had. Uh, you need one of the best running games in the league and a bunch of weapons, which the Niners had. 
Um, and you need to make sure that your quarterback has got balls of steel. And I think Big Ben had balls of steel. I think Brock Purdy has balls of steel. And all I mean by that mm-hmm. is just they're not going to be mentally shaken by the moment. The stage is not going to be too big for them. You need a good running game, a great defense, and a guy who's not shaken by the moment. And I think all those things have come together in all these great rookie scenarios. So is Brock Purdy the guy of the future? I don't know. You know, I mean, he didn't show me a whole lot. He showed me that he could not fuck things up, and that's big. That's important. There are guys who will fuck things up. The state of the Niners, I would give a... Yeah. I want to bake a cake for Kyle Shanahan or something, man. Kyle Shanahan is the GOAT, and I... I'll put all love on the trench boys for the Niners, the defense. That's the redeeming quality is that no matter who you have under center, you can be competent. It, Jimmy G, I think maybe his goose is cooked in terms of where he's going. I don't know why you'd bring him back at this point. If you have the option between Trey Lance and Brock Purdy, I think I'd rock with him. But I hate boiling it down to this. And as I get older and as I become a smarter football fan, I realize that the quarterback position mm-hmm. – you know, teams, it does take teams to win Super Bowls, and that matters. Quarterback is still the most important position on the field. And I will not take the San Francisco yeah. 49ers to win a Super Bowl until they have their guy. I don't know if it's Trey Lance. I said a year ago, um, Trey was one of the top five quarterbacks I'd take for the future because he's got, he, text, he checks all your boxes. Massive arm, super mobile. You know, I mean, you just, when those two things come together, those two, that's, that's the future of the QB position. You've got a massive rocket arm, and you're fast. Paxton Lynch. Because those guys are in... <laughs> Shut up. Those guys are inherently more valuable, right? Because in third-down scenarios, if everything's taken up, you can scramble. Uh, Goal-line situations are inherently more valuable because they can double as rushers, and they can get you into the end zone, and they can play those big spots. They're just more dynamic guys. Uh, again, this is not to say that you can't win with QBs. We almost saw Case Keenum and Blake Bortles headline a Super Bowl a couple years ago. Football's weird like that. The bottom line is the Niners are fucking loaded. They've got a great defense. They've got some of the best defensive players in football, man. Uh, Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, mm-hmm. the guys up front, they're fucking loaded. It doesn't matter until they get a QB that I really truly believe in. And I'm not even saying that Brock Purdy can't be that guy. Maybe Brock Purdy is that guy. Um, Bill Walsh uh, has one of my favorite NFL quotes of all time, and I fundamentally believe it. You need 24 games to figure out what you have in a QB, and you know. And we're going to get 12 to 13 weeks, hopefully, of Brock Purdy this upcoming season, and we're going to know exactly what we have. Do we have a Jimmy Garoppolo? No. Or do you have a Joe Burrow? And again, I don't mean that it's a Joe Burrow, but I just mean a guy who's clutch, a guy who can make the big-time throws in big scenarios. Is he going to crumble under pressure, or is he going to... Is he going to be like a diamond and he's going to he's going to form under that pressure? We're going to see. Um, again, bottom line is until the Niners figure out their QB position, I hate that we come back to this. It seems like we come to the same conclusion every offseason. They need to figure that out, and they can win a Super Bowl, and they'll probably be the favorites. I hope it's Trey Lance. I hope it's Trey Lance for their sake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's borderline tragic, dude, just <laughs> the situation yeah. that they have found themselves in and – Obviously, Jimmy was good enough to get them to a Super Bowl. I think Brock Purdy could have been good enough to get them to a Super Bowl. I don't know what happens in that game. And, I mean, the Eagles were uh, outplaying them early when Purdy was healthy, but that was pretty darn early. You know, that's a drive and then a Niners drive. And, like, I mean, that's it, right? That's all that Purdy got before he got hurt. So, 
it's just very, very difficult that they are at this crossroads where obviously they're not going to retain Jimmy. They're not going to pay him big money. Trey, you really don't fully know what you have given that we've only seen four starts with pretty mixed results and then an injury this year. Like, my instinct is to say, hey, just go with Trey and Brock next year. Trey is your starter because Brock is solid. Like, I think that he has an understanding of the game, and I think his accuracy is solid. I think his arm is underwhelming. I think his mobility and athleticism, ability to extend plays is solid. Brock Purdy is fine. I think he's a low-end starter, high-end backup who has probably the best all-around weapons in football. Like, just a disgusting quartet, dude. Are you kidding me? Debo, Ayuk, Kittle, and McCaffrey? Absurd. And the best offensive mind in football, probably. That's a pretty incredible situation to be put in with a good line. So I think that he can be like your safety valve if it's like, oh man, Trey sucks. Because I think they, they're going to start Trey. I think they have to start Trey. They've invested so much in him. He's their guy. And ultimately, they do want that ceiling raiser. I don't know how much of a ceiling raiser they need. I think they just need a good starting quarterback. I don't know if Trey can be a good starting quarterback next year. And then you get to this point where it's like, man... We have this unbelievable defense. We are loaded at the skill positions. We went even more all-in getting McCaffrey, who was unbelievably good. Like, could be the most impactful all-around running back in football, in my opinion. The dude is a monster. And we're still lagging behind at the quarterback position. And now it's the third time in four years that, or, or, you know, maybe you could even say the fourth time in five years that we're, like, Super Bowl good, but we're not really because of the quarterback position. And that's a brutal spot to be in. And I, I honestly think that that's where they'll be again next year because I do think they'll go with Trey. There's the talk about Tom Brady, and there always will be. But it's like, is that really what you're going to do? You're going to invest in a 45-year-old? What is that going to do to Trey Lance? Well, and I mean, dude, do you really want, again, man, name value aside, do you really want Tom Brady to be the starting quarterback of your football team? I think he's good enough for the see... Niners to win a Super Bowl with him. Like, I think the Niners are that good. I mean, probably. Like, I don't I don't know, though, dude. Like, I, I really do expect... I, I don't know if I'd want Brady or Rodgers over... Well, yeah, I'd want them over Purdy and Trey Lance, man. But you're, you know, you're talking... Yeah. That's such a drastic difference. But on the, on the whole, I don't know, man. I don't really know how much Brady or Rodgers have left to give in the tank. I think we're going to be really disappointed next season. I think we're going to be, like, not Russell Wilson disappointed... I think we're going to be really disappointed with what we get out of Brady and Rodgers wherever they end up for next season if they play. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. I think that they both clearly regressed this year. Rodgers, I'm a little bit more tentative to call it permanent regression just because, I don't know, man, back-to-back -back MVP seasons. This year just felt weird for him and them overall. Can I can I ask a serious yeah, question? Yeah. I, I, this is not a joke question. Would you rather have Jared Goff or Rodgers or Brady? Rodgers won. <laughs> I I think I would still take Brady, but I don't know. Goff's close. Goff had a really good year, but that's, again, in like a really optimized situation. I do think this is the best pure football he's ever played, but lest we forget, there was a year where, a couple years actually, where Jared Goff was a really good quarterback, and then I was like, oh man, Jared Goff sucks, and now that he has good offensive talent and good scheming around him. He looks good again. That's how a lot of quarterbacks in the league are. 
and I, maybe Jared Goff would be good enough for the Niners to win a Super Bowl next year. Like, I don't think that's out of the question. I don't think Trey Lance is going to be as good as Jared Goff next year. I don't yeah. really have enough data to say that confidently. That's my gut feeling, though, when a guy has started still up to this point 17 high-level football games in his career, 13 of them being in the FCS, and has looked so raw up to this point. So it just sucks for the Niners. The Trey Lance injury sucks for so many reasons because they don't know what they have as much. Of course, it sucks for him personally. The guy got hurt. He's a talented kid. And now you're like, well, great. That was a year where he could have gotten better, where he could have developed more of an understanding of how football works and gotten more NFL reps. And now it's like we're starting from scratch again. The dude is damn near a rookie in terms of actual football experience. And we have a roster that it, it could be the best in football. And that's the brutal reality of this situation. I hope the point that we're kind of hammering home to, to you guys listening is that in football, it's different, man. Like the windows are just so yeah. accelerated and every year is so important. I mean, I'm sure you can point to your favorite team and just single out. Uh, the one that, that I always go back to is like the Steelers when Ryan Shazier mm -hmm. got hurt. And it's like just that one year, a game-changing middle linebacker. And for the Steelers, that anchor of that defense, that's been the difference is we haven't had that guy. We didn't have that guy we still don't. Uh, for the Niners, it's just brutal because it's the most important position on the field. And every year is so much more excruciating when you have an entire defense going to war. An offensive line, like, man, dude, you see... Tr I, I think the Niners' frustration as a fan base, because it's heartbreaking. I know you know this is a Bills fan, Carson. To watch Josh Allen and his team hit that fucking wall year after year, it's soul-crushing. I think all the Niners fandom and can be encapsulated in that Trent Williams uh, end-of-game penalty where he just slams that dude to the ground. I mean, for a guy like him, it's yeah. so hard, man. And, I, again, man, to get down to Josh Johnson, that's really— And then have Josh Johnson get hurt. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we have—what, are you going to put Kyle Juszczyk in there, man? It's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. And— if you ask me, if you put a gun to my head and ask me for the Niners' prediction next year, I'd say the exact same thing's going to happen. I, I, not not the injury thing, but I don't trust Trey Lance or Brock Purdy at this point, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope one of those guys they fucking baller next year for the sake of 49ers fans and this team, and because they're so good. But you're going to be left on the doorstep every single year if you don't have the QB position figured out. That's the bottom line. Yeah, and one last brutal part of this is that you can't say that they haven't invested in the quarterback position, right? <laughs> they paid Jimmy G a monster contract. They traded three firsts and a third to get Trey Lance, and it has not paid off when they have been so great everywhere else. So, I don't know. I really hope that luck goes in their direction because, again, even with Brock Purdy, I don't know what this game looks like. We've talked a bit about the Eagles now. What are your biggest takes on them? We've talked about the quarterback position, the all-around talent of this roster, but what are you thinking about Philly right now? I, I think Philly's got maybe one of the best defenses uh, I've seen in a minute, dude. I mean, this team's this team's strong, and I think I think I really uh, I think I really underrated uh, Shane Steich and Nick Sirianni. I think that. I want to give a lot of praise to them. And this isn't like a shot at Jalen Hurts or anything. Like, I think it's just kind of that culmination. I, I think a lot of people just don't recognize the team aspect and how important every coordinator, every guy is. Like, dude, I'm 
A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, Devontae Smith, they are great assets and great weapons to have. Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni are geniuses, man. Um, and they've this is an optimal situation for uh, for a guy like Jalen Hurts. I, again, I think the bottom line for, for the game, and we'll do a preview of some sort uh, for the big game, of mm-hmm. course, coming up soon. How strong are they going to be in the trenches? You know, Lane Johnson was battling a groin injury. Again, I mentioned Landon Dickerson. Uh, they've got to be strong up front. Football teams are built in the trenches, and I don't know if there's a stronger trench team on the entire year uh, than Philly. And another thing, too, dude, not only like Sweat, Hargrave, Reddick, Graham, Fletcher Cox, whoever you want to point at, they've got great linebackers, too, with just fucking wheels, mm-hmm. man. Kaiser White, Hassan Reddick, they fly around the field. This is an elite defense, and I think this is going to be the toughest test that we see for uh, – for Patrick Mahomes all year. I mean that, dude. As much as a game can be hard for Mahomes, I think I just like Philly more, man. I like Philly more. I, I think that I just think they're the better team, man. I think the best team in football. It took me a minute. It took me watching them mop the floor with, with New York and San Francisco to get to that conclusion because I thought the Giants may come in there and make some noise considering it was their third <laughs> time playing. I'm serious, dude. I never understood why I thought Daniel Jones might come in and make some noise. It's uh, hard to beat a team three times, man. It is, bro. It's hard. <laughs> I, Eagles made the Giants look like light work. Uh, I think that the Eagles are – I think they've got the best coaching staff in football. Uh, I think that the Eagles have the best trenches in football. And I think they have the best team in football. And so I'm going to – I'm gonna ride with Philly, man. As dumb as it, like I said, as dumb as it is to pick against Mahomes, I think tentatively right now, if they're healthy on the O line, I just think this team's better. I don't think it's that dumb. I mean, look, they are 16 and one when Hertz plays, and I'm pretty sure they're undefeated when Hertz and Jordan Davis both play, like 10 and 0 or something. And people can try to belittle what they've done in the playoffs so far, all that they want by playing a couple of, frankly, not very good teams by playoff standards when you're looking at, obviously, the Giants, who just, I don't know what you were thinking with that one. It was not a talented football team. Shout out to Brian Dable, but obviously obliterated <laughs> them. And the Niners game is is just tough to evaluate because they didn't really play that well, right? Like, this is an incredible running offense. It was not that great in that game. They did not have a lot of success moving the ball through the air. They ended up with 269 total yards, put up 31 points. And people are looking at this and saying, well, I guess we should devalue this run. But it's like we have a pretty large sample size. I understand they don't really have signature wins. But, like, is that really a great metric of how good a team is? I don't know, dude. They've been dominant this year and they're clearly to me a more complete roster i think they have 17 pro bowlers and pro bowl alternates like it's it's a loaded team there's no doubt about that so i don't have any problem with people picking them and they're the favorite and again i still need to reflect on how i feel about this but yeah my opinion of them hasn't really changed i guess the only thing is that this was like one of hertz's worst games of the year Mm -hmm. and so maybe that's the takeaway that he just really facing a very good defense wasn't all that good and was erratic and looked a little bit rattled at times and also wasn't really very effective running the ball ends with that touchdown on the sneak but 11 attempts for 39 yards 
I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if the Chiefs can generate the pressure they need. And I think you have to look at Chris mm-hmm. Jones and Frank Clark there. And then I think you've highlighted the secondary matchup. That's huge because you got some big old weapons with these Eagles. But I don't know. There is still a bit of a lack of faith for me in Hurts. And maybe it's not a big enough factor because I still think he's a top 10 quarterback on a much more talented team. But I do think it matters. Eagles are great, though. I don't really have that much more else to say. They didn't play a great game against the Niners. They didn't have a very good offensive game, and they were playing a team that effectively could not throw the ball. So I don't really have takeaways from that. My takeaway is, sorry, Niners, this sucks. The final thing I want to say for this NFL pod is, uh, Carson, one thing I will never fundamentally understand is shit-talking before the fact, before you go out and do the work in Mm. any instance, is the... I hate when that happens. The Steelers make the playoffs and MF start stepping on the terrible towel. You see the mess where they're putting stuff on the Rocky sign. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Bengals mayor coming out uh, is Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes' dad, Eli Apple talking all this mess. Guys, it's the playoffs. You don't need any extra fuel to the fire. You don't need to turn these guys up anymore. I I will never understand, Carson, because I think it just— and I don't know, man, as a fundamental believer in, like, just bad juju yeah. in the atmosphere, I think that's bad juju um, in any instance. And just talking shit before the game's over, man. Go out there, do the work on the field, and shut them up and win the game. That's all that matters, bruh. Get your head out of your ass. Dude is not accounting for the cool factor of if you talk some great <laughs> shit. And it's also the easiest time to talk shit because both parties can do it. I mean, have you have you never watched wrestling? Have you never seen the tune-up to a UFC fight? It's great theater, buddy. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, listen. People know what they're doing. You know that if you talk shit beforehand, people are going to talk shit on you a good bit more after you lose. If you lose. If you win, you can maybe talk even a little bit more. I, it's not honorable, but I don't have a problem with it. It's interesting. The person who wins a game is always going to be the winner at the end of the day, so I just think talking mess is pointless, bro. Very true, my the, friend. The scoreboard's all that matters, bro, so shut up. I did I think can't help but notice lowest, that your pocket square is falling out a bit. The uh, the lowest, uh, the guy I'm going to give my award for uh, worst shit talk was uh, probably Nick Bosa, though, bro. When, uh, yeah, when he said Trump <laughs> 2024. That, no, I don't think that's not what Bosa said, yeah. <laughs> That was somebody else. No, I'm just kidding. He's just... Uh... Bosa goes up, I'm rich, you broke bitch, to that fucking Eagles fan. And it's like, Nick, what? Bro, if you got to bring up your money, man, it's not that... You're getting personal, bro. You know, he didn't take it light. He actually took that to heart. Yeah. Duh. Yeah, we know, Nick. You're You're an edge rusher in the NFL, my friend. We all know. Yeah, Nick Bosa strikes me as kind of a strange guy, but hell of a football player. So, shout out to him for that. I don't know if I don't know if I don't know if he, I don't know if you heard he's rich. Yeah, I read about that in the newspaper, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, there you go, nerds talking football. We're back, baby. Isn't it a thrill? Felt like a good time to hop into the discourse. Why not? Last couple weeks of the season, figured you guys would want to hear what we have to say. And I do think we'll do more football content going forward. This year, we we took off of football. But you know what? Turns out we really like football. And a lot of you guys really like football. So I think we're going to talk about it some more. 
Speaking of shop stuff that we really like and you guys really like, you should check out Omada, okay? That is O-M-A-D-A at the link in the bio across any of our social platforms. Honestly, really cool app. You can sign up, join our squad with code NDSESH or again at that link that you will find in any of our bios and basically just compete with us in daily game picks across sports, football, basketball without having to put real money down. So like for the championship games, we had a ton of really cool stuff that we could make our picks for. Obviously, you have like the traditional money line effectively. Who do you think is going to win outright? You have your over-under, but then there's some really cool player props, head-to-head stuff that they come up with, like who's going to have more catches, Travis Kelsey or Jamar Chase, which defensive line is going to have more sacks, Eagles or Niners, who's going to have more passing yards, Mahomes, Burrow, stuff like that. It's just really fun. So if you want some of the thrill of like the sports betting experience without actually having to put down money, if if you just aren't interested in that, then come compete with us, show that you know more, and do it daily. It's just a fun thing to sort of get in the habit of doing, I think. And hopefully a fun way for us to interact and engage with you guys too. So I definitely recommend that. I, I really genuinely enjoy it. And other than that, you guys know where to find us. YouTube, Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh, Instagram at nerd sesh, TikTok, of course, where we are coming out with the most content at nerd sesh. That's really all I have to say, Logan. And as always, I've been Carson Brever. <laughs> I've been Logan Camden. And this was NerdSense. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.